Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, welcome back to the show. And oh, do I have a great one for you today. And thank you, by the way, for those of you who have subscribed since last time and hit that red button. I always appreciate that. All right, let's talk about today. As the founder of Travelocity, you know about that, and Kayak, you know about that. Terry Jones, my guest today, is known as a disruptor. I just love that word. And you can see his two books right in front of me. He's written two of them, one on disruption and one on innovation, and that's what he's going to be talking about today. Listen to this. He went from a team of six to a $3 billion company. Wouldn't we entrepreneurs love to do that? He did it. He's going to talk about that today. What you'll hear from Terry today is his journey, doing deal after deal after deal that landed him to now being a revered corporate keynote speaker on the topic of disruption and innovation. Welcome, Terry. Well, nice to see you, and thanks for having me today. You're so welcome. You know, you've done a lot of startups, Terry, and you've bought and sold companies and you've been on 17 boards. You've graced the stages of Bloomberg and Neil Cavuto. I saw those. And you now speak to audiences all over the world on how to turn disruption off and turn innovation on, giving advice. That's what I want you to talk about. I don't care where you start, but we want to hear your story, Terry. Well, it's a kind of a crazy story. I uh, I thought I was going to Vietnam after college and I got drafted, but uh, was rejected by the draft and ended up spending a year with two of my college roommates going around the world. Uh, that was probably the best postgraduate education I could have had. And when I came back, I decided to get in the travel business. Became a travel agent, uh, six months in, did my first startup, and, you know, that's that's where it began. Uh, jumped a couple of other startups. Eventually, my company was sold to American Airlines, and I moved to, to Dallas, which I see there behind you, and uh, spent 17 years at American Airlines in marketing and IT, ending up as a chief information officer. And while I was CIO, uh, we had this little department that was uh, selling tickets online called Easy Saber. And it had been running for about eight years, and uh, the travel agents finally woke up and said to American, you need to shut that off. You're selling bullets to the enemy. <laughs> and Bob Crandall, our CEO, said, no, uh, it's going to be important, but let's give it to Jones over in IT. We'll hide it over there. He used to be a travel agent. Well, uh, turns out I, I ended up putting it on the Internet. We called it Travelocity, and that was the beginning of that story. You know, <laughs> we've all heard the word serendipity. Sarah is her first name. Dippity is her last. Do you think that serendipity... Sounds like a Texan. <laughs> exactly. Does it just seem like... It did to me when I read your story, Terry, it seemed like so much of your life has just been a lot of serendipity. However, having said that, there's another statement we've all heard. Luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. 
So put those two together and tell us. Well, you know, I think it has a lot to do with being curious. And I'm a curious guy. Uh, I read a lot widely. You know, I was lucky as a kid. My dad was in the advertising business. We got 40 magazines at home. My mom uh, made me into a reader. Um, so I've always been interested in different things. And that caused me to jump from travel into the computing part of travel. Uh, and that ended me up at American Airlines. And, and I worked my way up through both marketing and IT, which was kind of unusual at the time. Uh, because one day my boss said, I want you to go run 500 programmers. And I said, that's crazy. I don't know anything about that. And he said, you'll do fine. Go over there. And three years later, he said, I want you to run computer operations. And that was 2,000 people and a $400 million budget. And I said, that's crazy. And he said, you'll do fine. So <laughs> sometimes you get a push. Uh, but, that, you know, being a travel agent and a marketeer and an IT person was the perfect undergraduate course to help me lead Travelocity. Uh, and that also helped me, because I'd been in a big company, learn how to take a team of 12 to a team of several thousand people. And, and that's, a, that's an unusual skill as well. But I'd been well prepared by that, uh, for that by my previous uh, assignments. You know, you didn't even study any of that. Tell us about what you <laughs> studied in no, college. No, I got my degree in history. Um, but, you know, that really doesn't matter. I'm a big fan of liberal arts because uh, particularly now in the 21st century, you got to learn how to learn. I made a, a corporate, uh, excuse me, a graduation speech, commencement speech at a at University of Nevada, Reno recently. And, and I said to the graduates uh, who were all medical students, said, you've learned some wonderful things, but don't forget that all the technology you learn about will be junk in 10 years. You've got to continue to learn. And the professors all kind of frowned. I said, you know, what you need to do is learn how to learn. That, that's the most important thing. And uh, I went to Denison University in Ohio, got my degree in history. I still love history, but uh, that broad learning helped me uh, because, you know, in my very first job, my very first reservation, uh, they said, send this reservation off to Russia by telegram. That's how old I am. <laughs> that was 1970, and they still had a telegraph machine. My last startup was in artificial intelligence. So it's kind of a long way from a telegram to AI. I couldn't have predicted it. And I couldn't, of course, learn AI in college. We only had one computer in the whole place. Terry, it's amazing, isn't it? All the, all the advancements that have happened since you first started. You told me earlier you were writing, as a reservationist, you were writing it on a piece of paper. And here oh, you yeah. are in AI. That's an amazing amount of change. Uh, technology has pushed the world forward very quickly, and you know it still is. I mean, think of the technological infrastructure that we're using right now. Um, I had this kind of technology at American Airlines in the in the 80s, and we were worried it was going to hurt the airlines. Never happened. Here we are, you know, decades later, and now this technology is going to really hurt the airlines because it's been adopted so universally. I believe the the one day trip is certainly dead. Um, company I'm on the board of just saved a million bucks in travel, and our business is doing fine. So technology continues to change the world, and that's what my book is about, 10 new technologies that are coming for your company and what to do about it. Okay, so we want to learn from you, and there's so much to learn in a 30-minute segment. You gave us lots of things that you had learned. I wrote them down in our, from our conversation previously, but tell us in 30 minutes. Give us as much wisdom, advice, 
uh, thoughts about what we as entrepreneurs, we as leaders ought to be doing, listening to? Give us your wisdom. Well, you know, one of the reasons I continue to do this is, is I want America to continue to be innovative and successful. And in many companies, your delivery muscle gets way stronger than your discovery muscle. Um, you get great at doing things over and over again, and you forget you have to change. So the first rule in my book on disruption is you have to take more risk. Every company was founded by a risk taker, uh, but that kind of gets driven out by quarterly earnings. So you have to experiment, you have to take risk, and most importantly, you have to be willing to fail. You know, Edison said, I never failed, I just found 10,000 things that didn't work in his quest for the light bulb, right? Um, we have to be willing to fail. We have to kill projects, not people. And that way people are okay with experimentation, they know it's safe, and they will give you terrific ideas if you build a safety net and you realize that constant experimentation, of course, is what startups do. 75% of them fail. Uh, and, and that's probably the percentage in your corporation that will fail. But today you can fail fast and fail cheap uh, because of 3D printing, because of internet experimentation, uh, lots of ways to do that. So take risks, experiment, be willing to fail and keep moving forward because what got you here won't get you there. Terry, that's great. Let me ask you this. So you're talking to the leaders right then. Let's talk about people who are working for the leaders mm -hmm. at any level, because I just had this conversation recently, actually. And you've got an idea. It's a little tenuous now. People, let's face it, are very concerned about being let go. Yeah. And so you've got a great idea. You want to take it forward. How do you, how do you get, how do you sell up? How do you get that opportunity to take the risk? Well, I think it's very important to let people know you have these ideas. And hopefully you live in a, in a company, you work in a company where the CEO and the leaders are open to new ideas. And that's really happening. Um, you know, at, at Best Buy, they had an 18-month program laid out to do curbside delivery. In the end, they did it in two days when COVID showed up. You can't unlearn that. Uh, so corporations all up and down a size range are making decisions way faster than ever before, and they're listening in ways they never did before. Mary Barra, the CEO of GM, had an article, an interview with her in the paper over the weekend saying, you know, we're making decisions, cutting out layers, moving faster. That's a terrific time to come forward with new ideas because the world is changing out from underneath companies. This is a very lumpy kind of recession, depression, whatever we're in. You know, software companies are doing great. Airlines are going bankrupt. So if you're in a company that's sort of in the middle and needs to change radically, raise your hand. Uh, I think this is exactly the time when management will listen to you. No, I hope you're right. And I do think for the most part, you are right. And for those listening leaders who aren't listening, start listening. You're so well, the right. best ideas come from the bottom. You know, yeah. at Travelocity, we started paging people when their flights were late in 1996. Um, now it's it's commonplace. But I said paging because back then people had pagers. They didn't have phones. That idea came from a customer service agent who was tired of answering the phone. Uh, we started sending people emails when the price to grandma's house went down. We knew they'd been searching to grandma's house because we watched their searches. Well, that idea came from a programmer who said, we have the data. Why don't we go out and tell them the price just fell 50 bucks and they'll buy? Those people have the best ideas. 
But you have to break through what I call the boson layer. Not the ozone layer. This is the boson layer. This is the impenetrable layer of middle management that stopped good ideas from moving upward. And it's not their fault. They're not rewarded for change. So it's up to the leader to say, I want those ideas. This is Bob's idea. It was terrific. This is Mary's idea. It's great. This is Larry's idea. It failed. We're giving Larry another chance. And as soon as people hear that they get another chance, then the boson layer disappears and you can get the great ideas that come from the people who do the work because they have the best ideas. Management doesn't. Such sage advice. Absolutely. You also said, Terry, that you've got to draw your own margins. What does that mean? Well, you know, people say things like the internet is marginalizing my business. Well, you have to deal with it. It's a fact. You know, I, I made a speech early on in the internet era, maybe four or five years in, and, and, and to a real estate company. And one of the people raised their hand and they said, Mr. Jones, do you think we could get all the house listings back off the internet? And so people would call us again. I'm like, dude, it's here. You know, you can't go back. You're toast. Deal with it. And, and the real estate agent, agents have dealt with it. They're still here, you know, but the first showing is now online. Half the travel agents went out of business. The other half are here because they changed. Of all things, my daughter ended up being a travel agent. I spent my career trying to put, up, put them out of business and she are one, right? Um, but she's a 21st century travel agent. She gets her leads from social media. Uh, she never physically meets with people. It's all done through Zoom calls and email. Um, she changed. The industry changed. The ones that survived. And the ones that weren't adding value or couldn't change didn't survive. And, and that's how you draw your own margins. That's good. Good to hear it explained that way. Well, we clearly know what disruption is about. Get over it. It's here. Tell us about innovation. All companies, uh, for years, I've been hearing, Valerie, come in and talk about innovation. We need innovation. Well, first of all, do companies really know themselves what they're looking for? And, and tell us about how we as individuals, intrapreneurs, whether we're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, it's up to us, as you said, to come up with these ideas. How That's right. Do, yeah, First, how do we do think, that? As I say in the book, you know, culture and team are the most important things. So you have to build the right culture. And we already talked about that. A culture of experimentation, risk, and acceptance of failure and safety. All those are, are critical. If you don't have that, nothing will change because you're just focused on delivery. Secondly, it's about, you know, if you have a new idea, as we did at Travelocity, build the right team. So what I did, Travelocity was built inside American Airlines. It is entrepreneurship. I brought in a lot of people from the outside. At first, HR said, you can't do that. You know, we have to hire on the inside. And I said, I already got those people. I want people with different ideas. I want people who aren't like me, who argue with me. William Wrigley, the gum magnet, said, if two people in business always agree, one of them is irrelevant. <laughs> I didn't want people who agreed with me. So I brought people in from the outside. I actually changed where we worked. I moved out of the building to change the culture. Um, and you need to find people who are glass half full people, who are innovators, not the glass half empty people. Um, you know, we brought people over who couldn't stand the pace. They went back to America. They didn't like the way we had to zig and zag and work with the market. That's okay. So you have to find really the best people who like being in a startup environment if you want to build an innovative team. And then you have to weld them around the idea. And that's one of the reasons I moved out of the building was to get people stop thinking about marketing and, 
and IT and their own department and thinking about Travelocity and the idea. And once they're focused on that, you know, then the rocket fuel comes in and, and you take off. So culture and team are really the two most important parts of innovation. Well, you're already very inspirational. And when you go out, Terry, and you're talking to huge audiences, and you're really wanting them to get it, to just leave with something that they can go out and take action on. Tell us a time when you know that happened. Well, you know, uh, I, I was at an insurance company one day, and it was a 100-year-old company. Um, you know, and they're 100 years old, so a lot of respect for them that they were still talking about innovation and change. And a woman came up and said, I did something innovative today. And I said, what was that? And she said, well, up to now, our customers had to print out their applications and fill them out with a pen. And I changed so that uh, we unlocked the PDF so they could fill it out online. I said, wow, that's awesome. I, I didn't want to tell her that idea was so old that the IRS did that about eight years ago. It didn't matter. It was innovation to her and innovation to them. So, you know, I actually told that story in a, in a very nice way in the meeting to say anybody at any level of the company can innovate. It doesn't matter if you're in purchasing, you don't have to be an engineer, you don't have to be a scientist. Anybody can look at their business and say, how can we do this better? Uh, and, and go out and do it. She didn't have to ask permission, she just did it. Uh, and it was small, but it was important. Uh, nobody, you know, not everybody's gonna have the idea that changes the world. But you don't have to change the world uh, to be innovative. Travelocity was just do-it-yourself travel. Uh, worth a billion dollars. Kayak was just choice. You can book at American or you can book at Orbitz. Worth a billion eight. You know, uh, Apple didn't invent the MP3 player or the cell phone. And they're a trillion dollar company. They just made it better. So you don't have to change the world. You just have to look around you and have your eyes wide open and say, what can I do to make this process better, this department better, this company better, and then go for it. I love that because I was just thinking as you were talking about a real scenario. And it's my scenario. And it is that I have been focusing on the processes, exactly what you're talking about. What can I do different? What can I do to help the guests get more visibility? What can I do to make my posting look better? And so one thing led to another. I think you're absolutely right. It isn't about the big mega things that uh, you've ended up doing, you had to start with some one thing that built on another, didn't you, Terry? Sure. And and sometimes you fail. You know, I, I had this idea uh, for calendar-based shopping to put together a calendar that had the prices 300, 350, 400, 200 every day for flights to Cancun, for example. Because in those days, you couldn't do that. You'd say, I want to, you know, I want that $200 fare. And they'd say, well, what day do you want to go? And you'd say Wednesday, and they'd say $400. And you'd say Thursday, and they'd say $300. It was it was a terrible game. So I spent a million dollars and I built that. And the press loved it. You know, I got it on CNN. It was great. Nobody used it. It was way too early. Now everybody has it. So, you know, I reached for the brass ring and I missed. But there were others, you know, like flight paging or sending emails when the fare went down that made millions of dollars. So you have to be willing to try. And, and you know, in, in baseball, if you fail 70% of the time, you're a superstar, right? Because you get a lot of chances. You bat 300, you're amazing. Uh, and that that's what innovation is. It's, it's, not, it's not like the Olympics when you have one chance. It's like baseball. You have a lot of chances. You just got to experiment and try. 
just got to get out there and show up, don't you, Terry? Yep. You know, of all the things that you've done, inside, deep inside, uh, is there one, no matter how big or small, that you just really can put your head down at night and say, mm, so glad that happened? Well, it's an interesting story. You know, I went off to a boys camp in Canada when I was nine. Um, my brother was my counselor, <laughs> which was sort of bad. Um, and I fell in love with canoeing and being in the wilderness. And I did that uh, for 12 summers. And when I was 21, I, I got the opportunity to buy the camp and I raised the money. Uh, and unfortunately, the deal fell through. Uh, but I always kept thinking about that. Um, I had a very different career. Uh, my son ended up wanting to go there. The camp by that time was out of business because the railroad stopped and you couldn't get there anymore. It was in the middle of nowhere. He went to a nearby camp, uh, which I knew about in the U.S. I ended up getting on the board of that camp. Um, I'm now the chairman of the board of that camp, and we ended up buying my old camp. Um, so it goes around, comes around. We serve 500 young men and women every summer. Uh, many of them uh, minorities, a lot of them on scholarship who come up to Minnesota and they go canoeing. We also serve uh, almost a thousand young men and women uh, in the inner city in Cincinnati. Um, in, in the wintertime, we get them out in the woods. Um, so having that cycle come back around where now, you know, I get to help young people have the experience I had because I think Having those difficult canoe trips, I was out for 20 and 40 days in the woods, um, slogging through mud and carrying a load and paddling down rivers and being rained on and cold. Uh, had a lot to do with my fortitude in business. I think it, it really helped shape me and we've shaped lots of leaders. So I'm really happy that that came back into my life. What a blessing. What a blessing that was to you. And what a blessing now, as you said, full circle, you are to them. And what's the name of the camp? That it's the Camping and Education Foundation. There are three camps, uh, one for boys called Kuchiching and one for girls called uh, Okichi and then another called Oakanzi. So uh, anybody who's listening, you want to send your kid to a terrific experience for a month or two months in the summer, uh, they'll be changed forever and they'll be, uh, they'll be different kids. And they'll also be unplugged for the minimum of a month. No... Uh, no online experience at all, which is terrific for them. So look for the Camping and Education Foundation. Campingandeducationfoundation.org, yeah. is it? Because we'll put that up, of course. Terry, talking about being unplugged, what do you do to unplug? You sound like a pretty go, 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 go kind of guy. Oh, uh, you know, I'm a voracious reader still. Uh, although, so I read on a Kindle, which is not totally unplugged, but it's pretty unplugged. It's not really online when I'm reading. I love to read. Uh, in the winter, I like to cross-country ski. I, I live up in Lake Tahoe, so I, I go out hiking with my wife uh, and our dog. Uh, we try to go out every single day, do a different trail around here and get out in the woods. So I, I really enjoy doing that. Um, had, a, had a kayak on the lake for a long time. I don't now. but uh, So I, I enjoy being outdoors and living up here in the woods. Uh, I, I do say I, I miss traveling. Um, you know, I was a quarter million mile a year traveler. Uh, and I always relax traveling, a lot of travel for work, of course, but also I've been to 110 countries, so I love to explore. Going around the world started that passion, and we still do it. My calendar right now says I'm supposed to be in Croatia because that was the plan for this month, but not obviously not there. Um, 
so, you know, life hits you a curveball sometimes. Uh, but I've had a ball uh, actually this fall building a TV studio here in my office. And I have a complete studio with switchers and monitors and two cameras. And uh, I'm shooting videos and learning how to be a virtual presenter and trying to compete with TV. So that's a, that's a hobby and a vocation at the same time. Could you just send some of your brain power through the ethernet so it would absorb here? <laughs> oh, you have plenty. I'm not worried about that. You're doing great. Um, I want to hear also about the Kenzie Academy. Oh, that's a really fun story. So I've been working for the U.S. Department of State for the last uh, four years, um, giving speeches around the world. They have a speaker department and they don't pay me anything but I go to help people. So I've been to Mexico, Malaysia, Iceland, even outer Mongolia, meeting with entrepreneurs and startups, uh, giving speeches and doing one-on-ones. And I met a guy who had started a company, uh, an outsourcing company, had to train a lot of engineers and he built that in Vietnam. And he said, why can't I do that in Indianapolis where I grew up? He's Malaysian, but he grew up in Indianapolis. So he built this company, Kenzie Academy, to train people how to be computer engineers. In two, it was a two-year program in a classroom, but it was a flipped classroom in that no lectures, all online with a professor helping you. And I, I went down and, gosh, they were. I met a, a lawyer who'd been laid off, and a truck driver, and a woman who'd been incarcerated, and all kinds of people needed a second chance. Well, now I'm on the board of that organization. We're very successful. We have hundreds of students. It's all online, and it's a post-pay model. So students pay nothing while they're in class. If they get a job over 50,000, paying over $50,000, and about 90% of them do, then they pay us 17% of their salary for almost three years. So they have no debt in, in essence um, upfront, but they pay it off quickly because they're making way more money than they were making before. Most of them make more than 50. And we cut it from two years to one year because they were all getting hired away. <laughs> so uh, it's really a, a great program. I'm proud to be part of it. That's what we need in vocational education. We need much more. Europe's way ahead of the U.S. in that. Um, so it's it's a great idea, and we've proven that virtual education really works. And so how do we get in touch with that? KenziaAcademy.com. Uh, you can find it online. Um, it's a, it's a for-profit business, but really it has a you know a great purpose. Uh, so we're not making a lot. It's not about making a lot of money. It's about helping a lot of people. Uh, so Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I-E Academy, check it out. We're, we're uh, accepting students and uh, it's a little harder to get them placed right now, uh, but that, that'll change and engineers are still getting hired and will because that's, that's the future of work. You know, Terry, you are uh, amazing, first of all, and inspirational uh, and a role model. I have to ask you, what's something that really bugs you? <laughs> well, I guess there are a lot of things that bug me, but I think, you know, my work is about um, helping companies change that don't change. So I think leaders um, who get too focused on their own success, their own salary, their own stock options, um, don't understand that, that, you know, my greatest success in business was, you know, building companies that employed thousands of people um, and, and created a good business environment. That's important, and and to continue to innovate and change, so your your company doesn't just have its name on a historical mic, marker, right? Here lies the Jones Company. They employed thousands of people, but couldn't change. You don't want that. 
you want to be that 100-year-old company that, that changes and is successful. And there are a lot of them out there. So I think uh, it's exciting to meet with leaders who want to do that or to come into a company and help them uh, make the changes they need to make and see the way forward. So it bugs me when companies don't do that or say, you know, I can't change because you can. You always can. And uh, that, that's why I made that my work. Mm. Remember the old statement of, well, I'm just the way I am. Take me or leave me. We've always done it this way, and we've never done it that way, Bob. See you later. You this know, won't well, work. You're toast. You know, that <laughs> company isn't going to change. I got hired about five or six years into the internet bubble to speak to the Yellow Pages, and they wanted me to talk about innovation. And I want to just say, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, you're toast. <laughs> but, you know, they were paying me a lot of money, so it took about an hour to weave it together for them. But they could—they should have been Google, right? The Yellow Pages should have been Google. But they they owned it, but they didn't get it. And and they, they were so rich from the Yellow Pages, they couldn't change. Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, could have been Wikipedia and found a way to make money. Um, you know, the camera companies, Fuji and, and Kodak fought each other for years, you know, and they were killed by Instagram. And the cell phone, you know, it came out of nowhere. That's a hard one. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 it sometimes it's hard to realize that you're already a zombie company uh, and, and you, you've got to change. It's interesting to watch the auto companies laugh and laugh at Tesla and now, you know, working very hard to change. You see Shell, you know, who, who is putting in electric chargers in their gas stations, finally waking up. You know, BP, who said most of our revenue is going to come from renewables. We're not an oil company. We're an energy company. Holy moly. <laughs> they, they realized what the future is going to be. You know, you can do that. But some companies don't. The railroads never became airlines. Uh, it, it's, it's very difficult to change. You just have, Terry, those are great examples. Great examples. I'm, I'm laughing inside at each one of them. It's like, yeah, yeah, why didn't they get that? Why didn't they get that? Is there something on the horizon that you see, um, AI-ish or anything else, that's kind of waiting to be born? Well, I think what's interesting, and I talk about this a lot in the book, uh, you know, as I go through the technology of drones, robotics, 3D printing, and the like, um, as you add AI to those technologies, they get incredibly powerful. So uh, there's an example in the book, uh, Disruption Off, of I think it's General Motors designing a, a very simple part, a seat bracket. And they used AI to redesign it. And they did a thousand permutations in computer software. And then they built the new model with a 3D printer. It can only be built with 3D. It looks like a Klingon warship. You say, well, why spend the time? because it is 50% stronger and 20% lighter. Think if every part in a car was 20% lighter, what would the impact on mileage be? And if it was 50% stronger, what would happen to safety? Uh, and that was done by a combination of AI and 3D printing. Uh, you see a combination of AI with drones, allowing drones to roam freely and use thermal imaging to tell farmers where to put on more fertilizer or more water. Um, these combinations of technology, AI with robotics, allowing the robot to, to be independent and, and do risky tasks. Um, that's where the real strength is going to come. And what people forget is that AI systems are learning systems. They're learning 24 by 7 by 365. 
Tesla has 10 billion miles of learning because they have AI in, in their cars and all the cars, even mine that I don't sell drive and I have a Tesla, is contributing to the central brain that's learning. So companies that haven't started with AI are just going to get behind her all the time. <laughs> it's very hard to catch up because these are learning systems. So deploying learning systems and coupling them together with other new technologies, I think is, is the fourth industrial revolution. And it's going to be very exciting. Oh boy, Terry, I wish we could have talked longer, but I know you have to go and I'm so grateful you took the time today. You know, in closing, I'm just going to say that um, I loved your just quick little demo video on your website and we're going to put the website up so people can also see it. Is there a longer speech that yeah. we can see? Sure. The website, uh, which is tbjones.com, T isn't Dom, B isn't boy, tbjones.com, has lots of videos. There's 30 and 40-minute programs out there on innovation and change. And, of course, the books uh, Disruption Off and On Innovation are available on Amazon, both in paperback and uh, in audiobooks. Uh, the audiobooks are a lot of fun, and they're selling pretty well. So there are lots of ways to get more information on, on the concepts that I've been working on, and I encourage you know, both existing companies uh, to use them to fight the Goliath in their industry, or if you're a startup, uh, maybe they can be your slingshot to bring down the giant. All need slingshots, and from you, that's great. Lots of things that you, audience, can go back now after you've seen this fabulous guest with me today and see more about him. And if you have, uh, if you're a leader out there and have the opportunity to hire Terry, I'm <laughs> why available. wouldn't you for crying out loud? Virtual meetings can be done in a week, you know, so we're, we're I'm getting bookings for two weeks from now to drop in and give a speech on disruption. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that's the other interesting thing that virtual meetings are 30 minute talks and they, they have a lot of impact if, if they're done well. So uh, I'd love to help any of the companies they can reach out through the website. And Terry, isn't that one more thing as a speaker myself? How many other speakers are doing virtual keynotes? Do you know? Well, you know, there, there are some that get certified, you know, but I've seen some and, and you know, they're in, their, they're in their bedroom and they say, well, now let me show you some graphics. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty primitive. Uh, my, my goal is that I have to compete with television. So I've added interviews. I do polling. I've got a green screen, so I overlay with the slides. It's real video production like you're doing, and that's that's what you have to do because people think about it as TV, not as a speaker in a room, and that's my competition. So, you know, if you look at CNN or Fox, you've got the lower third rolling, and, and you've got the graphics in the corner, and you've got the crawl talking about something else. It's all to keep our attention, and that's what I'm trying to do virtually. Uh, you just got to keep reinventing yourself. Terry, you are doing it right, and thank you so much for being with me on the show today. Lots of continued successes and blessings. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye. And for those of you who um, want to learn more about Terry, you have seen all of the information up on the screen. And then I want to just say, for those of you who... Um, are interested in any kind of leadership development, that's what I do. And I would love to have you as a client. So if you're at all interested in, in uh, reaching out, all you have to do is go to Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com.
Bye for now. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.